We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. Tristan with Nerdots Newsstand, and with me I have Aaron Lepresky, and he is the maker of monsters and the baker of cheesecake. Somebody that has an amazing new campaign and has years of wonderful experience behind his belt. How are you today, Aaron? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I am so excited. I, I I've been looking forward to trying to get my nerves under, you know, calm down before I started. But oh. you have a <laughs> you have a new campaign going, and it looks fantastic. By the name of Wraith of God, can you tell us a little bit about it and your inspiration around it? Well, it, it uh, honestly, it was originally uh, designed to be a Western ghostwriter uh, pitch for Marvel. I was I wanted to kind of revamp the oh. Western ghostwriter way back in the uh, mid to late 90s, just after I had gotten off of Sludge at Malibu's Ultraverse. And uh, I wasn't in a position to actually pitch something like that and actually have it approved, but I thought I'd give it a shot anyway. And they had no interest at the time, so, but I really liked the story. So I said, well, I'm gonna keep this. <clears throat> I'm gonna redesign the character and make it my own. And, um, and that's what I did. And so it's been sitting there for, wow, almost uh, what, 25 years. And I was working on it a little bit, a little bit, a little bit as I went, because as I got further and further into mainstream comics, I was busy, I was working. And you always think, well, I'll have time to do my project later. And so you just, you, you have those things in, on the, you know, in your files and you're waiting for the opportunity. And, and now is that opportunity. So um, if it's not any good, I, I have no excuses because I've been working on the script for like 20 plus years. So it better be. Oh my gosh. But um, basically, in a nutshell, what it is, is the, the character is sort of, I guess, the best way to describe him, he's kind of a Batman of the Old West. He has a, a partner named Esther, who is a former Salvation Army worker, and they have a little bit of a tenuous relationship. She is sort of his Alfred, and but there's some questions about their relationship and how well they actually get along or trust, or she trusts him. And But with that as the backdrop, they are pursuing a pack of werewolves who are um, looking for an ancient amulet that is in the possession of a uh, retired European monster hunter. He is hidden out in a small town in Arizona called Calamity. And he has in his possession this amulet that gives werewolves invincibility when they possess it. So they're trying to get it. The Wraith is trying to stop them, all the while dealing with his. Uh, somewhat tenuous relationship with his partner. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. And it, I, I, I wanted to do something that wasn't just a typical Western and it wasn't a typical monster story. So it has elements of, you know, it's a superhero story, but it's a monster story and it's a Western. So I like combined as many genres as I could in there. And it, it seems to so far be, uh, be, be uh, capturing some attention of, of people, which I'm very grateful for. Oh, yeah. I, I think it looks amazing. It's 72 pages, right? Yeah. So it's a full graphic novel. Okay. Yeah. I thought so. And I did see on one of your perks, you have Garbage Man with it. Yes. Um, I'm kind of excited to see that. I know that originally that campaign didn't work out as well. Why do you think the difference is? The telling of the story? 
Well, I think uh, well, the difference why it didn't work out and this one has, you mean? Yeah. I think just lack of knowledge and experience. Um, I think I was sort of, uh, at the time I launched Garbage Man, I was still working full time at DC. And um, what I wanted to do was collect everything in a trade paperback because the Garbage Man uh, miniseries that I did for DC were a creator owned book. And so the rights had been returned to me finally because they weren't going to use them anymore because they had swamp things. They didn't really need it. Right. And um, so I, I was going to just package it as a trade paperback. And then I thought, well, that's not really all that interesting. You know, I want to put a new story in there to kind of spice it up a little bit. And that's kind of how I approached the, the Indiegogo uh, uh, campaign. The problem was um, I was was hoping that just by – you know, showing it around social media and, and that I would get enough response that it would be fine. But what I found out was that, as I'm sure you're, you're aware of, and most most people that are that have YouTube channels, it, promotion is it takes time. It takes time to build up an audience. You may think people know who you are, but you find out pretty quickly that maybe the right people don't know who you are, or social media really isn't that great for getting a message out to a wide number of people. It seems like it is, but every time you post something, how many people actually see your post, right? Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't really take all that into consideration. And, um, and because I was working at DC full time, I probably didn't any put anywhere near the promotion I needed into it, into it, or the pre promotion that I needed to put into it. So I think there's a lot of factors in there that, that, made it not successful but the funny thing is i'm getting you know with with it combined with the wraith um uh campaign i'm getting way more sales on it than i would have thought possible and it's being published by dark horse so there's other avenues to get the book there's you can get it on amazon you can get it through your local comic shop if you want or if you want an autographed copy you can get one through my campaign and i've been really excited about how you know how, how how the interest in garbage man is sort of uh, taken off when, once I attached it to Wraith of God and people are like oh I didn't even know you ever did this you know this looks really cool and um, so that's kind of how that came about so I, I'm waiting for uh, Dark Horse the book will be out in November Garbage Man will and then I, I of course ordered copies from them that will come to me that I can use to autograph and put in the package deal with, with Wraith of God. So it's, um, uh, it, at least I don't have to worry about publishing it. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to have to publish two books at the same time. So, Oh my gosh, that would be so hard. I am excited yeah. to finally get it though, but I know you're kind of just, you know, this is a huge undergoing with this project. Is there other plans for the future? Like, what else can we expect from the Lepresky verse or Empire? Oh, hey, I like that. You picked that up. <laughs> um, yeah, when I, uh, I think you can do one of two things. You can go in and just say, you know, I've got an idea for a graphic novel. I want to do it and, and see how it goes. And, or you can kind of approach it and say, you know, I've got a line of books or I got a line of characters and I want to get them all out there. How can I best do that? So, that's why you see the the Empire Comics logo attached to this. That's the brand that I came up with to publish the comics under. And um, so I have plans beyond this campaign. And of course, it all depended, you know, before I started, 
you have big plans all the time, right? You hope for the best, but you never oh, know yeah. what's going to happen. And so any going forward, it would all depend on the success of this campaign. And right now it looks like it's going to be very successful. So um, that opens the door for me to do more beyond this. And there, there will be more Wraith coming. Uh, but I'd like to also uh, bring a new Garbage Man story out. And, um, and I've got other characters that are part of the low presti verse, if you will, <laughs> that I would like to bring out. So figuring out exactly, because I'm just one guy and I'm not in a position, say like Ethan Van Skyver, somebody who's made, you know, literally millions and could actually, if he wanted to hire some people to, you know, draw the books for him. Oh, if yeah. he well, um, I'm not in that position. So this is gonna, this is coming down to me and how much work I can produce. And obviously you don't, you don't want to just hack stuff out. You want it to be quality. I mean, this is your opportunity as a self-publisher to really do something. So you want it to be good. So I'm, I'm toying with various ideas of, on how to bring out uh, a couple of different characters uh, rather than just one single one all the time, but not if, if Wraith is, is very popular and everybody likes the graphic novel, then obviously I'm not going to push him aside and go, well, I'm going to try something else now. I'm going to oh, yeah. continue with Wraith, but still figure out a way to kind of incorporate some of these other characters as I go along and continue to, to uh, self-publish. Yeah. And as you continue to build your world up, right. speaking of, <laughs> thanks for the segue there. Speaking of <laughs> Ethan Van Skyver, were you surprised to see the backlash um, that you received initially from this campaign? Uh, yes. And no, I mean, anytime you deal with Ethan, you know, there's, I mean, he's been, uh, even when he was at DC, he was a bit, uh, I don't want to say controversial, but certainly outspoken. Right. right. And, uh, so since he's, uh, gone out on his own and kind of, you know, established his own sort of publishing empire that he's got going, his independent publishing empire. Um, he's obviously, there's been a lot of controversy, uh, surrounding him and he kind of likes it. That's kind of his shtick, you know? Um, but he's also, you know, I, I have the privilege of actually knowing him off camera and he's, he's, you know, it, his show is, I kind of liken to kind of uh, like professional wrestling, you know, but that's not necessarily who he really is. And um, he's really a pretty good guy. And so are a lot of the guys that I know um, much better than I know Ethan and um, that I've been associated with. You know, we have a we have a YouTube show called The Professionals we've been doing for a couple months, you know, and no one ever said anything. You know, and those were all guys that were identified as comics gate and, and, you know, no one cared. And so I figured, I know if I go on Ethan's show, I'm probably going to get, you know, some, uh, blowback from it. I mean, it's inevitable. Right. But I right. didn't, I, I didn't expect, <laughs> I, didn't expect <laughs> a lot, I can tell you that. Um, so, and especially when you have people suggesting that, oh, you've joined a hate group or you're associated with a hate group and you, you know. I don't see that at all. I haven't seen any of that. Right. You know? And so it's kind of like I could sit there and be cowardly, I suppose, and say, okay, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. But I'm not going to apologize for some, for when I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I don't see any of that. If there was, you know, if there was any of this ridiculousness that that's, that's being uh, put on, you know, the, the, this association called comics gate, I, I wouldn't be a part of it. And I wouldn't, I would denounce it and say, well, but that's, it's just not there, you know, other than of course the, you know, they get a little crass sometimes, and a little, right. you know, and, and a little, they say some stuff for effect and things like that. But th these guys are, 
you know, there's guys just trying to, you know, self-publish and, and, and entertain people on their YouTube channel. And I just, you know, so I, I'm not going to get caught up in all of that uh, negativity and stuff. People can think what they want. If they don't want to take the time to actually find out what's going on and, you know, just say whatever they want to say, then, I mean, what can you do about it? Right. I mean, you just, and I know there was some bad actors very early. Yes, there definitely was. Right. And, but there, I, I, like I said, that was, you know, three, four, five years ago, whatever. I don't see any of that. That's not to say there's not some people on YouTube that, you know, I wouldn't go to dinner with. Uh, but and, you know, I was having this conversation with Ethan the other night. It's like, you know, you don't have control over the internet or what people do or say, right? You have control over what you do and say. And that's all I'll take responsibility for is what I do and what I say. If someone else wants to act like a jerk and just has to, and hashtags Comicsgate, that's not my fault. Exactly. Right? And that's kind of how I look at it. So, yeah. And I think it's a way of kind of dehumanizing anybody that they put in that group. Yeah. And exactly. I have no association with Comicsgate. And I, I, and I like you, but I don't necessarily get along with Ethan because, like you said, he's kind of got that heel personality. Yep. And I've kind of got that bitch personality and those things just don't mesh well, yeah. but it's the point of guilty by association and nobody should look at you that way. Right. And I, I, you know, I, I, that's some of the people that got in contact me, you know, professionals that got in contact me when they saw me launch this. So it's like, look at dude, you, I'm sure you hang around with people that I don't like either, but I don't, you know, I don't condemn you for being friends with people who do stuff I don't like. Exactly. You know, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. No, no. <laughs> Welcome to 2021. Unfortunately. I know, I, so. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I, I just can't, I cannot, I have enough trouble making sure that I don't do anything stupid. You know, I don't have time to worry <laughs> about someone else doing something stupid. Right? <laughs> you know? Like, oh, no, I totally get it. Because every video I'm like, why did I say that? That was stupid. Yeah. Why did I do that? I totally what? understand it. Um, But looking kind of talking about the bigger two when it comes to your comic career you've kind of been not been all over the map but you have you've done a lot of work for both the big two and indies did yeah. you feel more comfortable with the big two or do you prefer working now like you are with the indie title with self-publishing well this is scary because i've never done it before and there's so much responsibility attached with it i don't just have to produce the book i've got to i got to deal with the printer i got to deal with shipping i got to deal with any you know uh, turbulence that might oh, come yeah. away and there's always going to be unexpected things you know right now i'm like what if i can't what if the garbage man trade paperback sells too many copies and i can't get enough from dark horse you know i mean which is absurd cuz they'll you know i'm sure they they want to sell as many as possible so it's not you know I, it's not like they're going to run out but those are things that are in the back of your mind going Hmm, that could be a potential problem three months from now. What am I, how am I going to deal with it? And that's stuff I've never had to worry about before. But I will say growing up as a kid, I always dreamed of working for Marvel. I was never much of a DC guy grow, growing up. I was always a Marvel zombie, which is kind of odd that I did most of my professional work. <laughs> but um, I've always had characters. I've always wanted to do my own thing. I mean, when I was 18 years old, I was calling up printers to you know, find out how much it would cost to print a comic book. Cause I was thinking, oh, I can do this myself, you know? So I've always had that sort of entre entrepreneurial spirit, but when you get into main, when you finally get into mainstream, 
and you know, you're working on X-Men or you're working on the Hulk or you're working on these characters and every month that work just keeps showing up, um, you kind of get, you, you kind of settle into a groove. And so when you get where I'm at right now, where you've been doing it for 30 years and you're so used to, oh, here comes right. the script. What am I doing next month? Oh, I'm doing Hawkman. Here comes the script. Here's the cover. You know, you just do it without thinking beyond what you're working on at the moment. And so now suddenly all that's changed, right? Now I'm like, I'm on my own. I'm going to do what I've, what I've always wanted to do. Because in the back of my mind, I've always wanted that. I've always created characters and always thought, Oh, it'd be great to do this. It'd be great to do that. But it's always, it's so incredibly difficult to pitch an original idea to one of, especially one of the bigger companies, right? Because they got their own characters. They don't need yours. Yeah. And um, so you have these characters, but you really don't have anywhere to go with them. You know, unless you're like super, super, super high profile and they're like, oh, whatever you want to do, Aaron, we'll do, you know, um, I was never in that position. But um, so it, it, it's, it's a very strange feeling, but it's something that when I when I step back and look at it, I say, this is something I've always wanted to do. Embrace this opportunity because, you know, I'm not getting any younger. You know, I used to have hair. I don't have hair anymore. <laughs> and, you know, who, who you know, who knows how much longer you're 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 relevant, you know. And so it's like I've got an opportunity now. Jump in, do it, go for it. And so it's I was just talking to my son the other day about how different it feels being because you although I'm still working in comics it's a totally different feeling and I've got that weird sort of surreal feeling right now where it's like is this really happening because you know your life is going to change it's now I'm doing this I was doing that for 30 years now I'm doing this going forward and there's a lot of uncertainty right so um, it's, it's a different thing and I am settling into it, but I am super excited about it because at the end of the day, I am working on my own stuff. I am, I am doing stuff that I created and have complete ownership of. And, uh, that's a pretty exciting thing. Oh yeah. You're striking out on your own and you are, uh, definitely making it your, your campaign's doing really good. I'm excited to get, to get both Wraith of God and Garbage Man. So one thing you've been known for, um, not necessarily cheesecake, because there are some artists who draw them more so than you, but is more like strong, sexy women in general. Mm -hmm. yeah. Why do you feel now in comics the change has been? It's so kind of looked down upon. Do you think it's more of a political reason or do you think maybe they're just hiring cheaper artists who don't have the skill or desire to draw yeah, you know she-hawk especially that was one of my favorite characters and you drew her so strong but still beautiful you see what mm -hmm. i'm saying yeah oh yeah i know exactly what you're saying i think well i think editorially i think it's it, well in this day and age i think everything's politics um yeah. whether we like it or not i think sometimes you get you get you strip everything down the reason people are at odds with each other now is political differences they may have selective morality that they drape over the top of it to say, Oh, you're, you're a hater or you're this or this, but really if they don't, someone doesn't like you, they don't like you because of your politics. And that's what it, I mean, it's sad to say that, right? Cause we used to be, we used to be able to sort of discuss politics and even if you didn't agree, you sort of walked away and you were still friends and it was no big deal. And that's just not the way it is anymore. And I see, 
I see what's going on in comics, you know, especially about the female characters. I think that there's, um, uh, I think that is politically or culturally driven how they're being handled now. Because um, there, there are artists that can do, they still, I mean, there's a lot of really talented people in comics still artistically. Um, but I think what we're, the difference you're seeing is not so much that there isn't the talent, although in a lot of books, you know, some of the companies have decided to go much deeper and hire, you know, to save money, obviously, and they're, they're not hiring the same level for, I mean, you right. see it on the covers, but you're not necessarily seeing it on the interiors. Right. And so I think there's, I think there's, it, it could be a, a talent issue in some cases, but I think it's also an editorial direction. And, um, I, I, to me, I, I think it's unfair to say that, well, if you draw, if you draw a female character attractive, that you're being sexist because we're drawing male characters attractive too. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's like, these are just, these are like, to me, have always been like soap operas, right? You, you, you take the most beautiful people. And then you make them the most powerful people and they're your heroes and, you know, your villains. And because they're idealized human beings, they're not, I've never been a big fan of trying to reflect current events or right. society in the comics. I want more escapist fantasy. I want to get away from reality when I go to the movies or read a comic book. I don't want it thrown in my face because I get it every day anyway. So, and I think that by making these heroes uh, these idealized human, you know, beings that that's what we do. It's like everybody wants to be as powerful and as handsome as Superman. Everybody wants to be as beautiful and as powerful as Wonder Woman. Well, guess what? None of us are, but it's fun to be able to sort of project and say, oh, you know, especially, especially younger readers can do that and sort of, you know, look at that and say, God, wouldn't that be great? And you can just kind of yeah. imagine yourself in that role, you know, for the few minutes or however long you spend reading the book. And I think to take that away kind of diminishes the, the what makes comics so fun and great. Exactly. I totally agree. I don't mind a good allegory every once in a while, but sure. to make your to make your characters so realistic that they almost don't represent people. They almost take away from the women that actually do really try hard. I think it's a, I think it's a shame. So another thing that you're drawing and known for are monsters, right? What, yes. what's, what's with your love for monsters? Is there any sp specific kind of monster that you prefer to draw? I am a very, very strange person. I, um, <laughs> I was, I was raised in a, in a Christian home. I am a Christian and yet I have this weird love for monsters and i think it's i think it's a combination of being an artist um and just being someone who enjoys fantasy i mean i wouldn't be in comics if i didn't enjoy fantasy right oh, so yeah as a kid i always loved the universal monster films but i i've never been well i shouldn't say that when i was 14 i was I was a horror fan. I was watching, you know, Dawn of the Dead and all that kind of the originals and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And I was like, what's the grossest thing we can sit through kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> I, I've sort of outgrown that. And I'm not really a horror fan anymore. I'm more of a monster fan. And I think from an art standpoint, monsters are sort of liberating when you're drawing, you know, the human 
figure, male or female, there's certain restrictions. There's certain ways that they should be done and represented, right? So that they work and that you believe them. But you start giving me a monster that maybe I can make his arms a little bit longer. Maybe I can do this with his face. And, and so I've always found that to be more fun. And I think that it, it, to me, it always comes back down. Am I having fun when I'm working on something? And um, even like as a kid watching the Universal Monster films, I think I was more focused on the makeup than I was necessarily the monster. In other words, Karloff had a great face, right? You could, he was he was fantastic looking looking as Frankenstein. He was fantastic looking as the mummy. He just had a really great face for that. Mm -hmm. And so when other actors portrayed Frankenstein after Karloff quit doing it, I mean, I would watch it because it's Frankenstein, but it really what didn't it didn't have the same appeal to me because they didn't look as good or look as interesting. And so it was to me, it was as much about the creation of the the the, the creature or monster, whatever it was, and how well it was pulled off. If it looked good, I was interested. If it looked dumb, I probably wasn't interested. And you know, so Creature of the Black Lagoon is such a great costume and such a great design, right? How can you not love that? Yeah. But then there's other monster movies you look at it and go, okay, I could have made that costume in my garage. Right. You know, so you're, you know, so you don't, it doesn't have the same appeal to me. So I, I like monsters. I'm not necessarily a horror fan as much as I'm a monster fan. And I just like the, I don't know. I like sharks. I like crocodiles. I like dinosaurs. I mean, these are all monsters to me, you know, yeah. giant, giant squids, things like that. They're just, you know, I, I'm not a guy who's going to sit around and draw my dog. You know, I might if my wife was like, please do a portrait of her dog. Like, okay. But I would much rather draw something weird like that. That has, to me, is just a little bit more, takes a little bit more imagination and takes a little bit, it makes it a little bit more fun for me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of your books that you worked on that seemed to be, or seemed to get unfairly ignored was Death of Hawkman with Mark and Draco. What yeah. was that project like? And what were kind of the original plans going into something like that? Um, well, I, you know, whenever they, they come to you and say, hey, you want to do this? We're doing Death of Hawkman. You think, okay, this sounds like it should be a big deal. But you kind of know underneath that they're really not going to kill Hawkman. Right. You might get rid of one of them. I, but, and this just goes to show you how DC ignorant I was. When I came into work at DC. I took over Wonder Woman. It was the first thing I did. I had no clue what the characters were. So I was constantly, you know, asking Gail, uh, who is this guy? Or I'd call up Terry, who I, Terry Dotson, who I replaced on the book or followed, I guess I should say on the book and say, who's this guy? And half the time Terry's like, oh, I don't know. I don't remember, you know, so, <laughs> but so when I got to Hawkman, you may not believe this, but because when I did Death of Hawkman, I'd probably been there eight or nine years at that point at DC. I didn't even know there was two Hawkmen, right? Oh my gosh. I love like, it. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. What, who are we killing again? You know? <laughs> so it was, um, it uh, once again, I would get the script and go, okay, I don't know who these people are. And I don't have to go and do research, right? And kind of get caught up. It was kind of fun that Adam Strange was in there <clears throat> because he's kind of a, a classic, more classic oddball character. And those were my, excuse me a second. I'm, 
Oh, you're fine. My voice. I'm doing so many interviews these days. It's like <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. But so, um, so I do kind of like the oddball DC characters, and not that Hawkman's an oddball character, but Adam Strange is a little bit, you know. Oh, definitely. And so I thought that was kind of fun. And so um, I didn't know where it was going. <laughs> I'm not sure anybody else did either. We had, I think we, um, we had, uh, Mark and Drico wrote it and uh, he did a fine job, but he was, uh, we had three different editors on that book and it was just, oh my a, goodness. Oh, it was a five issue miniseries, I think maybe six, five or six. And so there was a, if you look at issue, I want to say it's issue four on the Hawk Girls on the cover, right? Right. And she's not in the issue. And um, so originally she was part of this dream sequence or something that was in this story. And so they, they said, okay, well, put Hawk Girl on the cover and all this kind of stuff. And so I did. And then the editors changed. But I can't remember if this was the second or third editor. <laughs> oh, no. And so they, you know, it, we, there was the cover. It was solicited and everybody sort of forgot about it. And then issue, because we do those three months in advance, right, for Diamond and everything. So then the script came in and I was drawing it and I was, I was halfway through the issue. And I realized Hot Girl isn't in this story. Oh my what, God. What's going on? So I call my editor and I'm like, dude, what? Hot girl is not in the story, but she's on the cover. And he's like, really? I mean, it's like, because he had just taken over. And he had no <laughs> idea, right? What was on the cover for the issue or anything. And <clears throat> so I really panicked, which was, which is kind of silly because it's not my responsibility. Right. I mean, but I was going all editor, you know, and publisher. And I called up Dan to deal. And I'm like, Dan, we got this cover. And for Hawk Girl is prominently featured on the cover. She's not even in the issue. And <clears throat> he's like, ah, it'll be all right. You know, it was too late to do anything about it now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So apparently what had happened, Mark had originally planned on having her in this dream sequence. And then the story got rewritten and changed. And then they forgot that, they, that I had already put Hawk Girl on the cover. So they just rewrote the issue without her in it. And then it was just like, it was... Wow, you know, so here comes issue four, and you wouldn't talk about blowback. Oh my gosh, how many people were like, "Hey, what is what is Hawk Girl on the cover? She's not in the issue." And I, all I could say was, "I have no idea." <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. You gotta respect DC for you know being a mess all the time, but that's so funny. Oh my, you know what though? That's more normal now, like compared yeah. to then. It's it's like a lot of false advertising when it comes to some of the variants and even some of the regular covers sometimes, but um, through your later years at DC, it seemed like you were doing more minis and fill-ins and taking over runs and stuff like that. Did you prefer like the long run or did you prefer to do minis like that one or, you know, fill-in artists? Well, um, okay. No one wants to be a fill-in artist. Let's Okay. See. I wasn't oh, sure. <laughs> right. But what happens on those fill-in issues is every when you finish a series, whether it gets canceled or it was a mini series or whatever, um, it's really hard to to have a next project lined up immediately to jump right into. Right. right. So they will say, I would, you know, what I would always do is I'd go, Dan, I'm wrapping up Death of Hawkman. You know, I, what do you got? And he's like, 
Uh, well, he says, we got something starting in three months, but, uh, oh, we've got this Marvin Martian, Martian Manhunter thing. You want to, you know, you want to do that? <laughs> and I, actually, I did want to do it. So, um, so that stuff comes up or, hey, we're doing this convergence thing and uh, it's two issue Wonder Woman thing. Do you want to do it? You know, like, well, yeah, either that or I'm sitting here doing nothing for right. months until the next project's ready. So, I mean, that doesn't really help your reputation because they everybody looks at you and kind of says, oh, he's just a journeyman guy. Because I was taking, you know, I, I, I was not in a position ever to sit around and not work for, you know, two or three months until the next project was available. So I would, you know, someone would say, hey, Aaron, do you need something? I'm like, well, yeah, I do. And then, so I do an issue of this, you know, while I was waiting for the next thing to come along. And uh, um, I think that when we, when I first went over there and got put on Wonder Woman, um, that was, uh, there was, there was a period in my career, I was on contract with DC for about five years. And so when you're on contract, they're always, they want to make sure you're on something visible, right? right. <clears throat> and so after Wonder Woman, I was supposed to take over Superman, but it was the Superman walks across America storyline. And after mm -hmm. I saw that, I was like, I'm not drawing this. Are you kidding me? <laughs> You're not going to take my one shot at Superman and turn it into this. I said, there's no uh -huh. way. That. And so they said, well, okay, uh, we've got this Justice League International miniseries, you know, uh, would you be interested in doing that? Or it was actually a maxi series. I think it was like 24 issues, right? Where they, right. Was, um, um, Judd Winnick was writing and, but it was like came out twice a month. So there was like, okay, you can do the first issue, you do the fifth issue, that kind of thing, right? And so I would go right. through and pick out the issues I wanted to do. Oh, the metal men are in this one? I want that issue kind of thing. And and so when that got done, it was really, really popular. And they were kind of surprised them. So they said, so when they got ready to launch the new 52, they said, well, just why don't you do Justice this uh, Justice League International? Um, and uh, I said, sure, you know, that'd be great. That'd be fun. And, and that book was doing really, really well, but there were some people in the upper echelon that that didn't like it they thought it was kind of the pardon the expression the redheaded stepchild of the justice league right and um even though it was selling pretty well right it was not anywhere in trouble of being canceled and it, it always floored me that they would they cancel a book that was making them money yeah I mean, that makes no sense that, right but it was a david finch was supposed to come out with a justice league book they already had the jim lee jeff johns justice league and I think there was maybe even a third one. And they just felt like this didn't really fit into what they were doing. They just weren't someone up there. I know who, but I'm not going to say who it was. Was not a big <laughs> fan of it, right? And so they just kind of forced it into cancellation. And Dan Jurgens and I pleaded with Dan to deal. We're like, Dan, if you don't want this to be a Justice League book, let's just exile them from the Justice League, right? And then we can they can become their own kind of rogue thing. And we can keep the book going. Because Dan and I were having a blast on it, you know? Yeah. And um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. So, but they ended up deciding to go ahead and cancel it anyway. And what that did was it kind of threw a wrench into everything for me because the way the new 52 was set up was that they launched all their books, all their main character, 50, new 52 books. Uh, right yeah. away. And then when they, when they would take the bottom three or whatever after a year, and cancel them, and then they bring in new titles to replace them, right? The problem is when you start up here, everything you replace with, it keeps going down and down yep. and down the totem pole. 
right? <clears throat> so when I got, when Justice League got canceled inappropriately and abruptly, there, there was like, well, okay, so what am I supposed to do now? You know, I can't, I'm not going to be on Justice League, or pardon me, I'm not going to draw the other Justice League book. I'm not going to draw Batman. I'm not going to draw Superman. You already have guys on those books. Right. <clears throat> so now what am I supposed to do? So now they're like, well, you're going to have to do one of the next books we in the next wave. And that ended up being Amethyst, which was available, which I knew was going to not do well. Not do well, yeah. But despite the fact that Christy Marks did a terrific job writing that book, that was actually oh, yeah. it was a really good book. But And I did some really nice artwork on it that I was really pleased with. But I knew no one was going to pick it up. And so, so then when that got canceled, you see the spiral just continues, right? So then it's like, well, what's left after Amethyst, you know? I mean... Uh, are we going to do, um, you know, oh, no. creeper? I mean, I would have actually, <laughs> I would actually love to do the creeper, but ambush uh, bug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, so I got myself into, uh, well, it wasn't my fault, but that's, I just ended up in a circumstance where I was behind the eight ball all the time looking for projects. And so that's where you start ending up doing miniseries here and there. And yep. there's not really any ongoing title that's of, of interest or that's going to benefit you to do. So you you kind of end up with a fill-in here while they're waiting, developing this mini-series. And I think I I originally, I had been bugging Dan to deal for years about doing the Herculoids. In fact, even when I was on uh, Wonder Woman and Dan had, had was talking about getting the rights from Warner Brothers to do the, the Hanna-Barbera stuff, right? Yeah. And uh, so I said, well, dude, if you get it, Herculoids, I got to do Herculoids. And because um, I was like one of my favorite things when I was a kid, right? Mm -hmm. And so that and Johnny Quest, right? So, um, so it didn't, it didn't come to fruition because at the time, Warner Brothers, you couldn't get the Hanna-Barbera stuff without taking Looney Tunes too. Oh. It was like this total animation package. And Dan was of the mind, and he was correct, that no one would buy Looney Tunes. So that was a losing deal for them. He thought there was potential in the Hanna-Barbera characters, but didn't in the Looney Tunes characters, at least in terms of comic book sales, right? Right. So it, it kind of died on the vine and went away. Well, then he figured out a way to get, he, he ended up getting them back later. And that's when you saw all those DC mashups where they had Batman, Elmer Fudd. Oh, yeah, and, I love those. <laughs> right, he loved them. It was a stroke of genius on how to use those characters. Warner Brothers didn't love it, but because oh, they felt they were misrepresenting the characters, you know, so they got a little pissy about that. But but it was a great way for comic book fans to kind of get a, a new take on these classic Looney Tunes characters. And so um, right after I finished, I, I was on Death of Hawkman right when all this came down, right? So I couldn't do the Herculoids. I, I really would have loved to have done Future Quest. Not that Doc uh, Shanner didn't do a fantastic job. Oh, yeah. Did. You know, it was terrific. But that's the book I wanted to do. But I didn't even have a chance to compete to do it because I was – I was involved with Death of Hawkman. And um, so what happened was right after Death of Hawkman, that was the Looney Tunes thing became available. Um, Marvin Martian, Martian Manhunter. Cause I, I'd sit there and ask Dan, I said, what am I gonna do after this? And he said, we got these Looney Tune things and I'm a huge Looney Tunes fan, right? And I, my, my ears perked up and I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? You know? And he said, well, we've got this, this, you got, we got, Marvin Martian. And I went, Marvin, I'm done. I said, I'm in. And yeah. <laughs> uh, so, 
So I drew that. And about that time that I finished with that, Gail was putting together Conan Wonder Woman. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? I got to do this. And yeah. at that point, at that point, you're not thinking, I don't care. I, I didn't care how well it would sell. All I knew is I wanted to draw it, right? And I knew Gail would do a really good job with the barbarian stuff because that was our first that was our first story arc in Wonder Woman was the barbarian uh, 70s DC characters yeah. like Beowulf, Claw, and the, Seek, uh, the Seeker. Yeah. And um, though, so that was like a blast, right? And so to get to do Wonder Woman Conan, I was like, yes. And um, so we did that. And then right after I got done with that, they had launched Future Quest Presents. And uh, so they finally were able to give me my Herculoid storyline that I wanted. So I did the three issues of uh, Herculoids in Future Quest Presents. So there was a period there where I did um, Wonder Woman Conan, which I believe was six issues. Mm -hmm. There was the Looney Tunes thing and then the three issues of Herculoids. And that was all back to back to back. So that was like an entire year of the most fun I've ever had in comics. And oh, I don't care how awesome. well they sold, but I was working <laughs> on everything I wanted to work on, you know, and that was, that was, that's my favorite year in comics when I look back on it, just in terms of enjoyment. Oh, that's wonderful. This might've already been answered, but for my last question, I got to ask, who was your yes. favorite DC or Marvel character to draw? <sighs> might be a toughie. <laughs> well, if you, my the single favorite project I did at Marvel was I did a what if Avengers thing with Jeff mm -hmm. Parker yep. who wrote it. And I got to draw everybody in the Marvel universe practically in that book. And I had, I had Matt Ryan inking me, who was one of what probably my best anchor, him and Danny Mickey. And, um, he got to ink it. And so, and I really busted my tail on that. Cause I thought I'm not, you know, this is going to look great. And so I'm just so proud of how it looks. And it was, was so that fun the Avengers draw. disassembled one? That's the one. Okay, I and, thought so. Um, but right after that, I worked on Planet. Well, maybe I worked on Planet Hulk right before that. I can't remember. But Planet Hulk, if I had to say the favorite thing I worked on, it'd have to be Planet Hulk because it was so significant, you know, in the in the storyline of the Hulk. And I don't know at the time we thought, you know, how significant it was going to be. Right. Um, and actually, I was I was doing some covers for um, Mark Panisha, who was the editor on the Hulk at the time, and he had just contacted me and said, um, you know, Carlos uh, Peglione is the regular artist on the Hulk. He said, but we're doing this thing, and Carlo won't be able to keep up. So we want to do alternating story arcs on this Planet Hulk thing. Do you want to do it? And I said, absolutely. So. Um, <clears throat> That was just great fun, you know. The Hulk is Spartacus. It was really hard because you, you had a lot of these a thousand soldiers come over the hill kind of thing, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> but but it was it was it, oh, it was just yeah, I, I loved working on it, you know. And so that would probably be for Marvel. Um, although I had a nice run on Ms. Marvel, I had a lot of fun working on that too. But it was that that Hulk project, you know. I have to say, as far as DC. Probably, I've done so much stuff at DC. I'm trying to think uh, before I say something that's not true. Probably, <laughs> probably like Conan Wonder Woman project was probably my favorite oh, yeah. project because it just—I mean—that just I, you know, you might mention me being a monster guy. Well, I was a 
I grew up in the 70s, so in, in comics in the 70s, and that's when sword and sorcery and monster books were at their peak. And yeah. so I sort of grew up on that stuff, big fan of Frazetta. So that would, to me was, you know, that was it. That was the, such a joy to work on. And um, so that would probably, you know, everybody's like, well, it's got to be Wonder Woman, right? And I'm like, yeah, not really. I mean, it is Wonder Woman, but it was the Conan it's stuff. The Conan with stuff. Yeah. Woman. It made I it totally get movie. it. Yeah. So that would probably have been my most favorite thing that I did at, at DC. Although I had, I had fun. You know, the Justice League stuff was a lot of fun and really enjoyed that. And I think it, it looked really nice. And, and the, um, I actually had a lot of fun working on damage, you know, which I knew was sort of, you know, was probably destined for failure because I didn't it come on. It was so good though. That's such a it shame. Was, yeah. It was a great concept. And it was, um, and Dan, the whole time I had been at DC, Dan DiDio was looking for a Hulk character. And I thought they finally got it. With yep. This really works. This is a great concept. And then, you know, the sales weren't there, so they canceled it, but they really didn't do anything with the character afterwards, like to keep it at all. And that's what I didn't understand because it was such a great character. Um, Any of those characters that silence or those just kind of got tossed by the wayside to never really be seen again. That's unfortunate too. Yeah. And I, I, I don't mean to quit, quit, keep stretching this answer out, but because I, Oh no, you're fine. I did. I worked with James Tinian not too long ago on um, the Dark Multiverse book. Mm. Um, oh, which one was that? That was the where Blue Beetle goes bad. It was. Um, oh, that was so good. Infinite, cri Infinite yep. Crisis, and um, or Infinite. Was that what it was called? Dark Multiverse, Infinite Crisis. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And they had come to me and said, "These are the books we're doing for Infinite Crisis." which of these interest you, you know, and I saw the Batman one with Azrael and I just kept thinking, uh, I don't know. It's going to be more Azrael than it's going to be Batman, you know? So then I was like looking at this other thing and I thought, well, this is justice league is going to be involved in this. This seems bigger. I'll go ahead and do this one. And it was just a terrific story uh, that James wrote. But on top of that, I really, cause I knew it was going to be prestige format and it was kind of a big deal. Right. So I really mm -hmm. took some time in my layouts and my storytelling. In fact, I posted videos on my channel about my storytelling process and, and thoughts behind what I was doing in the book. And so that is a singular project I'm really pretty proud of because it didn't seem like it, I was under a lot of really heavy deadline constraints on it. And so it really, I, I, that was, I'm pretty proud of that actually. Yeah, so. that those were I, I didn't real even realize that you had drawn that. Those were all of those were really good, but that was that one and probably the hush one were were absolutely my favorites. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. So those were really cool. Those um the last little bit here just kind of give everyone an idea of why they should check out your project. I'm gonna have the link to your channel and to your project down in the description and the pinned comment. But just kind of, you know, one last little push. <laughs> Well, I think it's I think it's um I think it's a unique property in the sense that I've been able to as as we spoke about earlier, we're able to combine a couple of different genres into something that is really sort of a cohesive unit. And I think that at some point when you're reading superhero comics, they can become a little bit repetitive, you know? Yep. And this is a very different sort of 
approach to a superhero comic, obviously not just because of the time frame, because it's in the 1800s, but I think in terms of the, the character struggles that are in it. And then you've got the monster element, right? So with the werewolves. And so I just think there's, you know, if you want to take everything fun that you like in comic books, you know, fantasy, superhero, monsters, and you just kind of put them all together and throw in a really interesting period piece that, uh, or surroundings that allow me artistically to do some stuff I haven't, I haven't got the opportunity to ever do. I mean, this is really a special project. And um, it's, like I said, it's, tw it's over 20 years in the making, so it better be good. But I really, <laughs> feel, I really feel strongly about it. I'm very excited about it. And I just think that, you know, if you go to the page and check it out, that you'll see enough of the art and the energy that's that's involved in the project that um, I think it'll intrigue you enough to to back it. I really do. Awesome! Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I've been a fan for a long time, and it's Thank really you. nice to be able to pick your brain about what happened behind the scenes. I love hearing that kind of stuff. Make sure you guys check out everything from Aaron. You will absolutely enjoy it. We will see you in the next one. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye.